Don't be afraid to put something out there, get feedback on it, and then grow from there and improve. Welcome to Honest E-Commerce, where we're dedicated to cutting through the BS and finding actionable advice for online store owners. I'm your host, Chase Clymer. And I believe running an online business does not have to be complicated or a guessing game. If you're struggling with scaling your sales, Electric Eye is here to help. To apply to work with us, visit electriceye.io slash connect to learn more. Now let's get on with the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Honest E-Commerce. I am your host, Chase Clymer. And today, we have a fantastic guest coming to us. Uh, it is Mehdi Farsi. He's the visionary behind State Bicycle Company. Um, it's an amazing product that they have out there. And it's very unique because they're selling something... Uh, it's a little higher-end online and completely digital native brand. So he's going to have a lot of insights on how to how to help uh, move those products that kind of are traditionally those luxury products per se with the higher price points, how to move those online and, and connect with your, your customers and your brand. Uh, welcome to the show today, Mehdi. All right. Thanks for having me. Oh, yes. Uh, this is going to be a fun one. So before we get into all the fun stuff that you have going on at State Bicycle, let's go back to before starting this business. What were you doing? How, how, what was your journey like? Yeah. So um, throughout college, I was working uh, for a company called ImproveNet. Um, they, they were a contractor to consumer matching service, kind of like uh, Service Magic or uh, Home Advisor, I think is now what it's called. So um, working on that uh, and, and, and under the marketing wing, learning all about different keywords uh, in, in campaigns that they were managing and several hundred thousand different keywords and, and different campaigns. Um, so I, I really got my feet wet um, that way. And then kind of always had the entrepreneurial spirit, you know, really drawn towards uh, design as well. So a lot of my friends and peers were in, you know, filmmaking, uh, photography, graphic design, and, and really into that. And, and so I got into obtaining and, and selling mid-century modern furniture and, and mid-century reproduction furniture. So with kind of my passion for that and also my e-commerce background, I I started a a furniture business um, where we were selling that type of furniture online. So this was um, you know pretty early on. Uh, I would say 2005, 2006. So you know before Amazon was kind of a juggernaut that it was. So I was doing that in college, actually wrote my honors thesis about how I could kind of grow that business and got out of college, wasn't really sure what I was going to do. And so I I was going to just kind of go the traditional route. I was like, I'll apply for the MBA school at ASU. I, I, I liked being a student. And so I, I went to apply and, and, Aced all my my entrance exams. Uh, thought I was going to be like a, a slam dunk in, and uh, I was told that I was denied on the basis that I didn't have enough work experience. And so that kind of gave me a little kick in the pants. And I was like, "Well, I guess uh, I guess I'm going to just be doing this uh, this business 
that I started that was kind of, you know, just extra money for a college student. I'm going to go pursue that full time. And, and so I did. And uh, I was doing that. And my brother, um, who, who uh, I work with now at State Bicycle, decided to join me in that. And we became partners in that. And we grew that. And we did you know, over a million dollars gross in our first year, which, you know, being 22 years old, 23 years old was phenomenal for us. And so, yeah, that's what we were doing before State Bicycle Company. Now, that was still back in like 2005, 2006 that you were... Yeah, 2005, 2006 into... uh, It was when we started and then I graduated in 2000. We both graduated actually in 2007, me in the the spring and him in the fall. So, yeah. Yeah, so after 2007, that's kind of what we were doing full time. That was way back in the day before you know Shopify and all this direct to consumer craze. And I feel like it's definitely a lot easier to start a business these days. Totally. Yeah, we were relying very heavily on eBay. Um, I think later on, actually, even Amazon, but just Amazon like seller, not like selling to Amazon, but you could set up a, like a small shop on Amazon. Uh, so we we're doing that. But eBay was definitely a big driver for us. And then also selling like locally um, as much as we can and, and building our own website you know, through GoDaddy. There wasn't really as many e-commerce like back-end options, as you said, at that time. Absolutely. Uh, I, I, that's probably where I first started to get really deep into this stuff and learning web design and, and all that stuff. I think I was playing around with WooCommerce back then. I don't even know if that was out yet. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I think we we were on something called Volusion. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely heard of that one. So, so is that business still around, or did you guys sell it, or or, or uh, kind of calm it down? We kind of say so. We kind of phased it out. Yeah. So, kind of to to backtrack a little bit, again, kind of in in that two thousand seven eight range, we started seeing like a lot of our our peers. Uh, and friends riding fixed gear bikes and um, they were definitely popular amongst younger people at that time and we were brought up around cycling so we spent our summers watching the tour de france and um, it was something that was always a part of our lives as kind of a sport and activity nothing that we were you know super crazy active in terms of cycling but it was something that was always a part of our childhood and and even at adolescence and kind of in the process of of wanting to get one of these fixed gear bikes that we just were kind of learning about ourselves we realized that it was not the easiest thing um to to get so uh, at that time there there was virtually no retailers selling online and then locally here in Arizona there were only maybe one or two shops in the whole you know state that were carrying fixed gear related products, and even as in that case, you would have to buy the frame from one manufacturer. A different manufacturer would buy the wheels, and you might have to go online to find the crank that you wanted. And by the time you like did all the research, figured it all out, priced everything out, you'd be looking at well over a thousand dollars, a ton of time, and. For someone who was just kind of getting into it, that wasn't very attractive because you don't know like I mean and, and it was it was like a pretty considerable spend. So we actually went kind of through some of our supply chain in Asia and asked around, um, started looking at bicycle manufacturers and 
like, hey, maybe we, we know there's going to definitely be a demand for these things. You know, how can we get them made? And, and again, same thing with kind of in, in overseas, there weren't a lot of factories making what we were looking for. You could kind of find a factory that might have a bike to sell you, but it wasn't something that you'd want to ride where the quality isn't good. So we, we spent about a year and a half just going back and forth, um, sampling and, and sourcing all the different parts and components and everything and managed to completely bootstrap the operation, put our, our funds together and we ordered 140 bikes, which was the bare minimum we could order. And we got them and, and kind of took off from there. It's so funny how many successful businesses start from the founder experiencing some problem and having that light bulb moment where it's just like, it shouldn't be this hard. Yeah, definitely. I think also it was something that we were kind of passionate about. And yeah, I mean, it, it, was, it was almost selfish in the sense that, hey, we, like, we want to be riding these cool bikes, but we don't want to be spending $1,500 on them. Like, There's got to be a better way to do this. Yeah, plus the countless hours of research and all that. So how long did it take you when you guys realized there's an opportunity here? Could this be a business? How long did it take until you guys had that idea in your mind to where you got a physical bike that you were riding? Like The first samples didn't take very long. Maybe only a couple of months. But those were, again things that we weren't really fond of like we like because the first supplier we had said oh yeah you can do it so we got a bike i think it sat i rode it a couple times it sat in our warehouse um our furniture warehouse and uh for a couple months and then i think i sold on ebay for like a 100 bucks because i was like this thing is kind of a piece of junk um and then it, it was actually my brother who kind of prompted it I mean, it had to have been several months later after we sold that bike and said, Hey, I, I, what happened to that bike? Like, I think there's like an opportunity. I'm seeing these bikes more and more everywhere. They're, they're really cool. Um, we, I think we should, you know, maybe try to sell these things kind of as a side, side business. So, um, we both discussed it and decided that, you know, if we were going to do this, um, got to do it right. And, that's when kind of that research process happened. And I would say that that took maybe 12 to 18 months. And then we started a separate company um, because we, we did bring in a third partner who was actually working for us at the furniture business. So we all put in a little bit of cash to completely separately fund the the bike the bike venture and then and so so that was that was November 20, 2009 so we're coming right up on our 10 year anniversary um, and then we started selling bikes that March of of 2010 and and this is before we even I think had a name of a company or anything we were just selling generic kind of fixed gear bikes, unbranded fixed gear bikes, I should say. That's amazing. So you guys were scaling that up and the furniture business is still going. Yeah. Still humming along. Yeah. Yeah. So like all the, all the proceeds for the bike business, just kind of, we were able to reinvest. So when did you guys kind of start to shift your focus away from furniture into these bicycles and kind of just go all in? I would say it 
I mean, we were simultaneously doing both for a year to a year and a half. And then after about 18 months, it became apparent that what we were doing in terms of creating a brand it had so much more potential uh, on the state bicycle side of things. So uh, after about 18 months, I think we decided to kind of just phase out the other business. So I mean, I would say in total, we were probably running about both businesses for about two years from like start to finish. And then, and then, yeah, then it was off and running full time with State Bicycle Company. Awesome. So in that first couple, like once you guys started to shift your focus, where were you guys finding your biggest wins? Like you, you know, you had, you had established your, your product market fit. You guys had made an awesome product. You guys were getting those initial sales. You realized like, Hey, we got something here. Where were you starting to invest your time to kind of move the needle in your business to you know increase what was important to you? Which you know for most people it's sales, but there there are other things that are important. So what, where were you guys spending your time? Sure. So a lot of I mean a lot of it was just boots on the ground, like grassroots stuff. So we we were able to our our warehouse was very close to Arizona State University campus, big student base, um, a lot of people commuting by bike, etc. So. You know, before we had a website and a name, we were selling. I mean, we were just hustling, selling bikes on like Craigslist and Amazon and eBay. Um, but where we started to build that brand and community was through doing different events. And this is also at the time when Facebook is like starting to just really take off astronomically, and you can reach an audience with actually like no money. There wasn't even like ads, I think, at that time, and everything was like chronological. So started building um, that way. But a lot of it was like local community building on Facebook. So doing weekly night rides at 8pm on Wednesdays and, and getting people to come out. And I think there was just a lot of a lot of excitement around the brand because we were just doing fun and exciting things that we found interesting and, and people wanted to be a part of that. Oh, that's awesome. I think the community aspect comes up a lot when people are talking about how they really got the first initial kind of jump forward with their business. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think without the Arizona community here and you know, us being out and and really trying to facilitate and, and foster and grow the bicycle scene here, like it like we wouldn't have happened. So I think we contributed a lot, but also the riders around here contributed a lot for us. Let's be honest today. All of your customers are going to have questions. And what are you doing to manage all those questions? Do you have a help desk for your business? One of our sponsors of today's episode is Gorgeous. And Gorgeous is the number one rated help desk for e-commerce. It integrates seamlessly with Shopify. We have installed it on a bunch of stores. It's also used by brands like Movement and Rothy's. And what it does is it takes all of your customer insights and information, brings it into one amazing dashboard so you can solve their problem as quick as possible. If you want to give Gorgeous a try, visit gorgeous.link slash honest. That's G-O-R-G-I-A-S dot L-I-N-K slash H-O-N-E-S-T to get your second month free. So let's do let's jump through time to to the present day. You guys have been doing this for almost 10 years now. Uh you know, <laughs> let's change since then. Oh my goodness. So I mean a lot has changed and a lot is the same. So 
Um, I mean, for one, the products are, you know, way different. So we started, we started with, uh, what is now called our 4130 line. Um, at that time, it was, it was just our fixed gear bikes and, and we had seven colorways, uh, but it was the same bike, just seven different colors. What we started, um, with three sizes. And now, I mean, just in that line alone, we probably have a dozen different colorways that are constantly being retired and new ones coming out, you know, seven different sizes, different handlebars, different wheels. And that's just that line of bikes, but we've branched out. We do city bikes now that are more casual. We have a more price point, uh, entry level bike at two ninety nine, which is called our core line out um and then now we have bikes that are we're getting into geared bikes we're getting into off-road bikes and then that's not even to mention all the parts and accessories that we do so we do a ton of apparel we do anything from handlebars and saddles all the way to lights for your bikes backpacks so um we have kind of built an entire ecosystem around the bike just because the bike really isn't the only thing you need like there's all kinds of gear um and, and stuff and that's something that we um will either do in-house or we'll bring on third-party brands that we personally love and we personally use and curate that experience for our riders because so many of our customers so many of our riders are kind of first-time riders like we were back in 2008 2009. So with with selling a bike that's something that, you know, traditionally people would want to, you know, hop on it at the store and give it a test ride. How have you overcome kind of the difficulty of selling something that, you know, originally was kind of definitely a more like people's hands-on buying experience? So how do you translate that online? What's that process like? Totally. So I think um like to zoom out and look at kind of the bicycle industry most people like let's take out online sales most people traditionally would get their bike in one of two ways they would go to a local bike shop which uh now we work with actually um over 300 bike shops worldwide local bike shops so in this is your mom and pop bike shop that's on the corner or near nearby college campus so they go into one of these uh kind of boutique experiences there's a lot of those shops, but that is actually even a, a fairly small percentage of the market. The big market is uh, big box retailers. So you go into your Walmart or Target um, or or Dick's Sporting Goods, and and they're doing the bulk of the bike sales. Even if you exclude kids' bikes, they're doing the bike unit by unit. They're doing the bulk of the sales in this country. And when you go into those stores. Um, I can't say that the experience is any better. I, in fact, I, I, I know that it's worse than, than the experience you're going to get online because those cus- like the bikes for those stores is just one tiny skew in, in, in tens or hundreds of thousands of SKUs that they're selling that store. So there's very seldom, if, if ever, an expert that can talk to you about the advantages or disadvantages of a bike. Um, they're, you know, oftentimes they're assembled incorrectly. Um, they don't really have the size selection. It's, it's kind of like you go in, you, you look and you see a bike 
with uh, adjustable seat posts, and, and it's supposed to be one size fits all, but that's not normally the case. Um, so I think by being online, we we can actually you you can sit down, you can you know look at the pictures, you can read about how. You can customize the bike. Um, we have very detailed geometry and size chart recommendations. One thing that we've had almost the entire uh, duration of our company is like a wonderful live chat that our customers often engage with. And then they can also ask questions on social media and, and, and so forth. So I think there's multiple interactions that we can have. Uh, with a customer and and take care of that customer and address all of their questions and concerns a lot more than you would get in kind of a big box store. And then, like I said, the other side of the coin is is the local bike shop. Um, there are some great local bike shops. There are some bike shops that are not so great. So that's going to kind of be a, a coin flip on, on what kind of experience uh, you get there. In the bike world, there is definitely kind of a stigma or, or I guess kind of a stereotype that a lot of the bike shops are kind of like the high fidelity snobby record store where if you go into a bike shop and you don't look a certain way or act a certain way or even on some of the higher end you know, stores, if you're not wearing clothes where they think that they can't sell you a two or three or $4,000 bike, the employees there are not really great for their customers. And, and don't get me wrong, that's not every bike shop at all, but there are countless people that have poor experiences in, in these types of shops because it is kind of clicky in a way. And, and that problem is only exasperated if you're, you're a woman or a person of color. So our whole thing, and, and it kind of harkens back to kind of the grassroots efforts that we're doing is we wanted to be in, as inclusive as possible for everyone. Like our mission, you know, whether it's the price point of the bike, the design of the bike, um, or just our general attitude to new riders and, and our patients and explaining what kind of gear you need and the maintenance and everything. Um, our goal is just to get more riders on the road because that makes everyone safer. That makes everyone healthier and it's good for our environment. And ultimately we're sharing our passion um, for cycling with more people. Uh, absolutely. That was a, that was a great answer. And I mean, just to, uh, my takeaway was if, you know, if you want to sell something that's traditionally more long-term sale, you got to answer every question. You got to be the, the nicest about it, and you got to be, you know, an expert in exactly what you're doing. Um, and I think that's going to help anyone that's selling a product that could be, you know, compared to a bicycle. Yeah, absolutely. Like, so the one thing that we always have to remind ourselves is, especially, especially the further we get away from. The, the beginning of the company is that we were not always this knowledgeable. We were not always in the position. Most of our customers do not self-identify as cyclists. So as the brand has grown, we've definitely like bled into that like cycling industry and we get hardcore riders. But I would say those people only make up 10 to 20% of our, our client base. 80% of our customers are, you know, the kids, or you know, I, I say kid, but you know, the young person that uh, either is going to college and and they they've had the same mountain bike that their parents bought them in middle school, and they are finally buying like their first bike with their own money, and they want something like a little nicer. It's that person, or it's the person you know, freshly that 
freshly graduated and, you know, they, they got a job and an apartment in a city and it's, it's just frankly inconvenient and, and doesn't make sense to commute by car. So they want a bike so they can get to work and back home and, and go to the bar after work. So they want something like that. They want something that's easy um, to maintain, simple. So that's why like the majority of our sales are still fixed gear and single speed bikes, one gear. And um, I would say the majority of the like commutes on our bikes are like you know sub five miles, sub ten miles type of thing. Absolutely. So let's let's switch it up a little bit here now. So let's talk about uh, how important is your content strategy to the overall success of State Bicycle. I, I mean, I think it's uh, like app. They go hand in hand. They're intertwined. Um, really, like with us not having a physical storefront, the many ways um, that we interact with the customers are—it's it, all digitally. Whether that's our live chat, whether that's our social media, whether that's through our advertising, whether that's through our YouTube videos, those are all of our touch points with our customers and being able to clearly convey our messaging and what we stand for and, and just our overall vibe is, is really important. Um, and that's, that's why someone would choose to spend their hard earned cash. Again, many of our customers are college students. They're on a budget and they're choosing to spend their, their dollars with us and we don't take that lightly. So, um, one of the ways that we are able to, you know, convince people and people choose to spend the money with us is through our content strategy. Um, like I said, otherwise, I mean, we're not the cheapest bike on the market. We're not the most expensive, but we're not the cheapest whatsoever. So people have a myriad of options, but they're choosing to come to state because of that brand and because of what we stand for. And that's backed up by the quality of the product, but it's really reinforced through the content and conveyed through the content, I should say. So what are some of the, uh, I guess, tactics of producing the content for the, the business? Which ones seem to work the best? I mean, really is going to depend on like the line of bike and, and the different personality. So most of our content that you see is going to be, we call it kind of casually competitive. So we always want to have that underlying tone that like our bikes can perform or you can race on our bikes or you can, you can crush, uh, crush the streets on our bikes if you wanted to. But for the most part, it's laid back. It's fun. It's free spirited. And that's kind of the, the messaging that we always try to convey. Um, another thing that kind of just harkens back to my, my love of photography and design, everything, we just want to keep everything simple and clean. Um, again, we, most of our bikes are going to first time bike buyers and we don't want people to really have to get into the weeds of, of too much maintenance or, or too much technical knowledge. We, we want to sell bikes to people that can just get on the bike and go. So those are the kind of the messaging that we're always trying to convey. And we do that through, you know, a variety of ways. I mean, we try to translate that in our photography, like I said, in, in the copy on the website, um, through our different vari- video series and video ads, etc. Awesome. That sounds great. Uh, well, before I let you go here, is there anything else that you kind of want to share with our audience? 
I mean, it sounds a little cliche, but if you have something that you're passionate about and you have an idea, like don't be afraid to fail, especially if you're like a young person. You know, that's kind of the best time to take risks because you have a lot less to lose. So um, if there's young people listening, you know, if you have an, an idea, don't wait and don't sit on it too much. Just execute and who knows what could happen. Absolutely. You'll figure it out from there. Yeah, definitely. And your plan day one isn't going to, doesn't have to be, you know, your plan like five years from now. You do, you do take it day by day. Absolutely. You take it day by day. You sell product, you, whatever you're putting out there, you're getting, and then you get external feedback and you, you process that and, and then you get better. That's, it's always been an ebb and flow. We've been in a lot of ways driven by, the taste and our interests of our customers. And, and that's another way that, you know, in social media can be so helpful too. I mean, you need to have a balance between listening to customers and, and putting out, you know, what you think is right, but don't be afraid to put something out there, get feedback on it, and then grow from there and improve. That's a lovely way to end the episode. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show and sharing their journey and knowledge with us today. We've got a lot to think about and potentially add into our businesses. Links and more information will be available in the show notes as well. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, feel free to reach out and learn more at electriceye.io slash connect. Also, make sure you subscribe and leave an amazing review. Thank you.